0: Let's look at a few verses and then just examine our hearts. And uh, uh, first of all, you read, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the forgotten beatitude. I think that one and probably Matthew 28, uh, observe all that I've commanded you, are the two forgotten things. But let's ask ourselves this question. If... God says it's more blessed to give than not to. What is it blessed not to give? Is it blessed not to give? You are you blessed with rain, breath, sunshine, children. Because God blesses even wicked men. He's good to all men. But to be more blessed when you give. Uh, I'll just say something that's, it's a little, uh, it may sound a little corny to you, but I pray Monday uh, as I start up my day, Lord, I want to witness to someone today, or I at least want to show them your love, if I can do that. Okay? Uh, this is just a little homey, and, and I hope it doesn't irritate you. But it was a thrill to me that I was at Costco in Richmond, and as I was going there, I was by myself, I, I saw a, an older African-American woman. And you could tell she's full of years, and uh, she's struggling to empty the cart. Because when you go to Costco, it's hard to empty when you buy all these, you know, double. You need to take two teamsters with you just to get it home. And so, she was kind of struggling, and I stepped up, put my arm, said, Mother, could I do this for you? I said, I sure wish my mother was buying these groceries. I I would sure help her. Would you care? She said, go right on. (laughs) You know, I felt like a million bucks when I went home. What did I give her? I didn't give her a dime. I gave her strength. I gave her help, and, and I got a free hug. That's worth a million bucks to you to lift her burden a little bit. Try a little kindness. There's a lot of ways you can give besides money. But to become a giver and not a getter, that that is a sure mark of grace working in your heart. Um, Let's look at some verses just to do this checkup. Um, Look at 2 Corinthians. I want you to see these because I'm God's mailman. I don't write the letter. I just deliver the mail. And all the saints said, oh me, amen. Amen. Uh, verse 7, 9-7, seven. each one must give as he has decided in his heart. You give as much as you've decided to give. Giving is a decision. It's not, Who, let me, oh, the offering's coming, I'll tip God. No, 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 you made a decision before you came. And many of you grew up in tip churches where you tip God. That's not giving. You ought to keep that money. You, you, it's a waste anyway, because you didn't, you don't get any credit in heaven for it, because you didn't give it from your heart. But he said, uh, not reluctantly or under compulsion, and, and you're like, there, get it, get him off my back. Oh, don't, 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 don't do it. For God loves a cheerful giver. What would be the antithesis of this statement? If God loves a cheerful giver, what does he do with a stingy giver? What's the opposite of love? Enough said. We'll keep going on here. I just want to give you four quick passages because I can't give you the whole Bible on the subject. There's 2,300 verses on giving, so I'd start a Bible study if you think we're making this up. Uh, Let's just, I want to ask you four questions. Look at four passages. I can't settle down on any of them, but just principles for us to take inventory of where we might be in our own giving. This is highly personal. So, just weigh your own heart. Turn back to the minor prophets, and in the last four minor prophets, okay, go back. That's Old Testament. Okay. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. We're going to go to Haggai, first of all. Haggai. A prophet God raised up to tell the children of Israel who had come back from Babylonian captivity to rebuild the walls of the city, kind of like uh, Nehemiah in at that era, uh, and telling them to rebuild the temple and uh, get on with the project. Well, once they got back to the land, laziness set in and other priorities set in so that God's house is in disarray. God's house isn't being rebuilt. And so God has ways of raising up prophets when God's people aren't doing what they ought. And so he sent Haggai. And verse 3, Haggai one. How many of you found it? Oh, we're ahead of the game. Good, good. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Of course, this is the temple, not this building. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. I preached from this years ago on, uh, does your bucket have a hole in it? Now, Ricky Nelson made a million bucks singing that. But he's saying to the people, because your priorities are mixed up, And you've rationalized that your wants and your needs go before God's house. That you're getting money and you're putting them in pockets, but they've got holes in them. Because if God doesn't bless whatever income he gives you, you would be amazed how many holes can spring up in your pocket. Things blow up that you never thought can blow up. Appliances go out that you never counted on. Health situations come that you never imagined. I just met with a, a guy that's, a, a, he's on an upward track of being a multimillionaire. And he was telling me what all he's doing to make his money. And he's only a young man. He's in his 30s, lots of energy, lots of charisma, and, and, and a lot of ability. And so, uh said, talk to him, and he's telling me his dreams, and he's a believer. And uh, I, I finally at lunch, I said, you know, the only thing that makes me nervous about meeting you and having this conversation, he said, what's that? I said, I'm afraid you're going to go broke. He said, why is that? I said, it like every time I meet a millionaire, they go broke. And I started telling him of men that I knew in Dallas area, in Texas, that lost their bank in a day. One friend of mine, a dear friend that helped me go to Dallas Seminary, he said, I went from a $10 million worth, because he owned a family-owned bank. Banks are privately uh, and owned. There's not any chains. If you have a B of A in Texas, you've got one B of A, but you don't have a chain of them. So there are a lot of individual small-town banks, and he owned this bank he inherited from his father. Worth 10 million, auditors came in. Oil crises, lots of confusion in that part of Texas. He went to two million dollar debt, lost his 13,000 square foot home and his two Lear jets, and was a wonderful guy. Let me live in his house while I went. He's one of the finest men I've ever met. But he lost it all in a day, and I don't think people think you could ever lose it all, but you can. I've known several, and they're wonderful people. I don't badmouth them. They were good people. I I, I love them. I'm sorry. But there's something about it, and I'm not saying this applies to them. I don't know that. I want to be sure of that. But he's warning the people, unless God blesses what you receive, you can lose it quicker than you make it. The holes can spring up. A man recently told me, I had plenty of money until my wife got cancer, and it's taken all of our life savings to fight this disease. You you don't plan cancer. Uh, I mean, we're trying to help my wife's brother. He didn't plan brain cancer. He didn't plan terminal cancer. He didn't plan to live with his sister. He owns a house in Mexico, but cancer and getting to medical care, brought him back to the States to live with his sister. He never planned a terminal diagnosis which says he still just has much to live. It, the, there's a lot of rich fools in this world that, according to Luke 12, that they're always building bigger barns, and, and they're planning for retirement and that night God says, I'm going to take you home. Who gets the barns? Who gets the 401k? Who's going to fight over the house? Who gets all your stuff when you're in the coffin? So it is with a man that is not rich towards God, but always has time to build bigger barns, Buy more houses and pour more money out here to be safe, be safe, be safe. You're not safe in any 24 hours from God calling you home. Whose will it be? So we need to be sober. That is the truth. I hope that. And you know what? I want to do my best, and I trust, I ask God. I do not want to make anyone guilty to give because it won't last. Guilt motivation does not last. If God doesn't do a work in your heart, you our offerings, they usually surge when I preach on money. And I asked the elders and deacons yesterday if I could get a percentage if they come up to a certain amount to maybe take a cut. They weren't impressed. It just kind of passed. But I don't, want, I don't want you to get guilty. I want you to be convicted if you're not doing it. That's you and the Lord. Guilt won't make a guilt giver out of you. You'll you do spontaneously. You'll do a one-time thing and get the guy off your back, but you, you won't become obedient out of the heart. God's not deceived, is he? He's looking on our heart, not the size of our check. He's looking at, why did you give it? So, I would first of all take inventory. Is your money not going far? Is it just one thing after another? And, and you've already said, I can't give. Uh, Larry Burkett and Ron Blue and uh, Randy Alcorn, they say they're afraid to send Christians to financial planners because none of them will say, give to God first. They'll say, uh, you cannot, as long as you're in debt, you can't give to the church or to God because these debtors are number one. You know what? Number one is God. He's your number one creditor. Number one. If God start charging you today for every breath you took, You're using his space. This is his world. He doesn't owe you heartbeats. He doesn't owe you breaths. He doesn't own you common sense. He, you, he doesn't, doesn't owe you children that love you, that are good to you. There's a lot of barren women. Did God give you children? He got, he's our number one. He's number one. I love the story that a man in this church, he came to me, and uh, he was saying that uh, he was hard-pressed, finances were low, and, and he asked me what he should do. I said, well, you should start giving. He said, well, I was kind of expecting a little different counsel. I said, well, all robbers need to quit robbing, and you're a robber. You, don't, you, you, don't, you can trust God for eternity, but you can't trust him for today. Salvation's for eternity, right? Money's just this monopoly stuff that God tests our character with. It's just monopoly money. You could have been a billionaire in the Confederacy, but as soon as the war was over, all your money's worthless. Someday all this stuff is going to be worthless. And I'm going to a place we walk on gold. Money's not a big deal up there. It's down here, and it's a, it tests our character. How much do you love it? that's the test. He told Israel, I'm going to curse you in Deuteronomy 28 because you didn't find joy in serving me when I prospered you. You know what? This recession is very good for us. What makes you think America has earned God's blessing? We have despised his laws in California as much as any state going. We despise his law The citizens can vote in a Proposition A, and we'll spend billions trying to refute it in the legal system. Why don't you do what the people voted? We said we don't want same-sex marriage. Well, who are you? You're not as smart as a, a judge. No, I'm smarter. I vote like God would. When it's a moral issue, I'll speak about it. Some say you're not political enough. No, I'm trying to be godly enough. I'm not for either party, I'm for God. Don't ask me if I'm a Republican or Democrat. I don't know what I am. I'm left with very few choices. I keep writing in Jesus, but they won't get him voted. <laughs> so don't waste all your time trying to change the political machine. So a Haggai says you can have problems with holes in the pocket because God has a batch of moths in heaven. He unleashes on the stingy. And when you don't put him first. Now, that sounds like a threat, and it is. So, you need to weigh that out. Would you rather have God's favor on what's left than God's curse on everything you keep? Would you rather have God's favor on the 90% or his curse on the 100%? Look at Malachi. And, of course, if you've been in church, you say, oh, no, here they go. Every preacher's favorite verse. I have to say something to you. Um, I didn't buy a green suit when I became a pastor. That, green means you're raising money. But Dr. Walford once said, when I was at Dallas, he said to a bunch of us guys in the class, he said, if God has called you to lead any part of his church, whether you're a missionary, uh, an para-organization or a local church pastor, you must have the faith to believe God for great amounts of money. It just comes with it. Uh, we've got to trust God always, you know. When I started this place, uh, you've heard this story many times, there was no money because I, I didn't want to be about money. I said, God, you supply, you know, we got to pay rent. And next week, I'm bringing James G., Carolyn Junkel, uh, and he's going to address you, give me 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, He's now 76. He was the pastor of the church that gave me a love offering that I paid the first month's rent on Holy Ghost Hall with. I didn't even have the money to pay the rent. And I went over and preached for a little Pentecostal church in Concord, and they gave me the love offering. He was the pastor. I want to have him greet you. He started pastoring at $50 a week. And God has blessed him, and he's a dear man of God. So not about money. But in Malachi, let me give you the history. The nation, uh, it has become a strain to serve God. They're complaining. They're offering God leftovers, lame lambs. He asked them one time, would you give what you're giving to God to your governor? The great insult. The king of kings, you're giving him lame, diseased animals, animals that you wouldn't even eat now because they're so bad off. Uh, You wouldn't dare give that to your governor. It would be an insult, but you give God what's left, the lame, the whatever. And so, He's upbraiding the nation for their backslidden condition. And he says in verse 6 of chapter 3. Are you there? Okay. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Maybe we need to have a revival. Let's get an evangelist. And God answers back with a question. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, let me give you a challenge. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the, Well, well, if I test you, what is the test? The Lord of hosts says, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Would you like to test somebody? This is the only time God ever says, test me. Some of you folks that rationalize, you can't give God 10% of your money, you're afraid to put God to the test. You ought to do it. How many people in this church tithe? Big decision. I started at 15. Major life decision. I've got the ledgers. 25 cents this week. Kids used to only get $2 a week for allowance. Did you know if the average young person in America gets a year discretionary money, the average is $1,500? Teenager, How many of you were pre that figure? How many of you remember when $10 was a lot of money? I filled my old mercury up for five bucks. Yes. Well, he says to them that you're in danger of robbing God, so you have to ask that question. Tithes, let's, let me, uh, since I haven't done this teaching, what tithe is, is the first fruit of whatever you get, and biblically, I believe you ought to start at the local church, because I get paid to say that. No, no, he said, bring it into my storehouse. I know some people, they want to support all this other, and that's wonderful. Do all that you want. We we are not God. We can't tell you what you give your money towards. But when we don't support where we are, uh, last night, if you didn't make the children's program, uh, there was more kids on the stage than I pastored the first two years I was at this church. And beautiful children, moving production. It was really wonderful. Uh, Sandy and the group did announce, I'll be back tonight. But uh, tithe, ideally, if we went to our home local church where we pay all the bills, our children don't give us offerings. Now, I think you should teach them. I just heard Bill Heibels give a lecture on money. He said that every, you know, he's a good old Dutch boy, grew up in Dutch Reformed churches, and he said every Sunday morning, all the offerings for five of their children, the Heibel family, Mom and dad laid out on the counter every Sunday morning what each of them were to give. My dad did that too, but I wouldn't give it. And uh, I would come home from church with all this candy. He's suspicious. So he started going to my Sunday school teacher, who was Pat Watson. And he said, Pat, when you take the offering, does Philip put in anything? He said, no, not a dime. So, God had to teach me to give by means of a belt. I was driven to it. Because my daddy put out the money, but I said, "Uh uh-uh, penny candy's cheap. A quarter can buy a ton of stuff to rot your teeth. Will you rob God? He asked them that, and I think the pitiful thing is many of you have been robbing him for years. You've not given him the first fruit. You should repent of that and get God's blessing on what you have, and adjust your own heart. You know, the first 10 years here, I never even would mention tithe, because I went to Dallas Seminary, and they kind of hate the word, uh, because they said, we're grace givers, grace givers. Well, I found out that was so ambiguous, it meant I might not give anything. And grace isn't, you don't give anything. Grace is, you could certainly supersede the law. It's under the law, without the indwelling Holy Spirit, they can give 10%. And, of course, God said, I'll, I'll curse you there. So we're not under gr- grace to be cursed. But I, when I went to churches in North Dallas, there were so many wealthy people. The budget was a laugh. Uh, three men could meet the church budget. So they didn't have to emphasize uh, giving. We don't have big donors in this church. We, we don't get big. We don't have anybody sit on this side, Oh, we've just been waiting to hear the need so we could write you a $100,000 check. No, about the time we had a crisis, they felt led to go to another church. We just don't have them. Dallas has a ton of them. I mean, it's a lot of wealthy people. Thank God. Thank God for them. We don't have many. Uh, Why? Who knows? We might be waiting for a few people to do what we're all supposed to do. We're all to be giving we all get a part of the reward of honoring the Lord, right? Amen. Um, Let's go to Matthew 6. Do you sense a whole lot of anger in me? Am I preaching with anger? Am I mad? Am I mad? I am? Oh, you see nothing. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. uh, Look at, uh, would you rather worry or would you rather put God first? It's one of the greatest, in verse 25, Through the end of the chapter, it's one of the greatest passages in Scripture to not worry about your physical existence, about tomorrow, food, uh, those kinds of things. And what shall we eat? I don't want you to worry about this. This is a sign you don't know God as your father. You're, You're a Gentile that doesn't know the true God. And then he wraps it up. Instead of worrying about these things that we all need, food, raiment, shelter. Verse 33, but seek first a bigger house. But seek first a big... uh, Whose kingdom? His kingdom. The kingdom of God and his righteous ways. And all these things will be added to you. It sounds to me like another test. If God doesn't do the last half of that verse, he would be found to be a liar. He said, don't worry. I'll add what you need. You make it your business to settle if I'm going to be first in your life. And my interests first. Just do that. Don't call me God and be an idolater over money. And money makes us all idolaters. Is my kingdom first in what you do with your, your body, finance, whatever you have control over, put that first, and I'll take care of the rest. Is that a promise or a threat? I think it's a promise. Put me first, test me, and see. And like a Nick giving testimony. Hard times, like the man told me, he said, well, I, uh, that came to me, I don't think i uh, complete the story, but he said, hey, um." You know, I'm, I'm low. I'm having a rough time. What should I do? I said, you need to start giving God 10% right off. Oh, man, you're out of, out of your head. I'm not. You're out of God's will. And, and uh, I didn't know what he would do besides get mad. But what he did, he obeyed, and he got glad. And he came to me within about, oh, I think it must have been three or four months. He came up to me, and it's a very skeptical by nature, guys, most non-givers are, uh, they're not people of faith. They're skeptical. They're wary warts. Uh, it's why they, God does little through them. If you can't trust him for money, how could he trust you with souls? If you don't pass the money test, don't worry about having any impact on lives. Luke 16. If you don't pass money test, I don't care what your gift is, it will shrink in impact because God will see to it. And there's a lot of preachers that are tight too. And God has a way of shrinking their ministry, because God cannot use stingy people. He cannot. You see, God didn't save you by being rich. He only saved you when he became poor. Jesus didn't save me on the throne. He saved me when he emptied himself to everything he had, including his life, and had to borrow a rich man's tomb to even have a burial. It was in his poverty that he saved you, not in his regal, legal, kingly authority. It's when he died the death of a criminal with a terrible criminal's death. In his poverty, he saved me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, he divested himself, he emptied himself, he stooped, he humbled, and in his poverty, he made me rich. He'd stayed on the throne, I'd still be going to hell. He saved no one on the throne. He saved them by becoming the poorest man in Palestine and dying a criminal's death. My Savior, nobody saw well. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He owned no real estate. And his mama gave him a garment in his adult years. But that was the only one we ever know that he owned. This is my Savior. And we come here and negotiate over dollars and cents. And he said, oh, I divested myself of everything that looked like God's domain that I might get you to heaven. It grieves the heart of God when we're stingy with him because the father gave the sacrifice of giving up the son and the son gave the sacrifice of emptying the jar so that by the time you get him to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, there's nothing left in the jar of his humanity to give. I can give no more. And this is... My blessed Redeemer, my salvation was based on a God that would become the poorest man in Palestine. And besides that, let the Roman, ignominious criminal's death fall on his back. All this to get a wretch like me into heaven. Don't ever say Christianity is about getting your money, it's about God giving up everything He had to get you to heaven. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Um, Look at Ephesians, and I just, I've got five minutes. Tim coughed real loud in five minutes. (laughs) And then I'll try to rebuke you for being loud in church. (laughs) Uh, We we printed the wrong verse in your notes. Uh, We put put a, a, a word about your mouth, and that's a good word. But as I double-check that, it's verse 28. We want you to note what God expects from us when he prospers us. Have you ever heard a person say, I would give this if I could just win the lotto? Uh, You ever hear this, I would if I could? And then some, I think we need to say, you could if you would. You could if you would. Uh, I I sure would give it, pastor, if I could. I'm going to say, and you could if you would. And so let's get to going. You coulda, woulda, woulda, coulda. Well, it starts with your will. And he says here, if God should prosper you, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he might increase his retirement fund and buy a second home. So that he will have enough to vacation in Tahiti for a month. That should be his goal. What is the goal of having more than you need for your own? To share with anyone in need. How many of you have that kind of work ethic? I'm working not only to cover my own household expenses, but I'm working so I can be in the place to meet the needs of those that don't have any. See, that's what he says. Uh, Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 8. 13. It's right there in your notes. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little did not have too little. See, your plenty God may have provided you to help in the emergency. And, of course, this was the poor church in Jerusalem. And he said, God has given you plenty. There's a need over here. Help us. 2 Corinthians nine eleven. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We don't have time to look at these, but I hope you would just look at them. Look at 1 Timothy, writing to a pastor at Ephesus, and he's commanding the rich uh, what to do. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. This is what I mean about you can lose it, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will waste their money. In this way, they will what? Lay up treasure. Can God guard your money? He said, it'll be treasure for themselves as a firm foundation. Well, um, with our increasing congregation, In this great deficit, we're shooting for Easter Sunday. We're trusting God for $150,000. And uh, we're going to call it Miracle Sunday. And I say this, if God can raise a dead man, he can raise money out of your pocket. Right? And some of you have got moths in your wallet. You need to open it. Get them out. I want to read something, too, since you may say you're not talking to me because I'm not rich. Let me read something to you that Randy Alcorn, I'm trying to get the book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, the finest work I've ever read on money. Anything Randy Alcorn writes, whether it's heaven, purity, money, it's, it's out of sight. We were pushing this little book, The Treasure Principle, and we need to get that. Every one of you need to read that book. I know men, businessmen, that it transformed their life about money. But listen to what he says. If you made, hear me now, if you made only $1,500 last year, did anybody make more than that? Let me see. Three of them. Oh, four. Five. Okay. He said, if you made only $1,500 last year, That's more than 80% of the people on the earth. 80% of the people on the earth make less than $1,500 a year. Statistically, if you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or apartment, and have a reasonably reliable means of transportation, you are among the top 15% of the world's wealthy. If you have any money saved, that's what bothers me about this this crisis. I finally saved some money. Surely God wouldn't want me to give now. That's for me. Oh, I thought it was all God's. Well, it is until it's in my name. You type what? if you have any money saved, a hobby that requires some equipment, I'm willing to sell some good clubs because of my back, but I want top dollar, a variety of clothes in your closet. Does anyone have more clothes in your closet than you're wearing? Two cars. Anybody have two cars? Raise your hands, show your guilt. You filthy rich Americans. <laughs> and live in your own home. Whatever that is, you are in the top 5% of the world's population. You make 1500 bucks a year. You live in your own home. You have two cars and you have multiple clothing. You're in the top, let me see, 5%. How many of you are in the top 5%? Well, you filthy rich Americans, <laughs> give as God has prospered you. We can eliminate $150,000 in our sleep if we would sacrificially give. You see, our weekly need in this church, general fund, is $36,000. We've been receiving 26000 That's 10000 a week we go under. And then we have water mains that break. We have things that happen. Uh, air conditioning that cost us $75,000. We didn't didn't replace all of them because that building's been there 20 years. We didn't replace them all because we didn't have the money. We spent all of our contingency fund, all of our savings. We're down to God and you. And we're shipwrecked on him. And it's a wonderful place to be. And we, the only other alternative we would have, not cut missions, we'll cut whatever we have to cut. And uh we always start with our newest hires. So, Tim is our latest hire. So, pray for Tim's job. You know, just pray for him. And uh, he's got two little children to feed. So, Tim, I hope you'll pray in this crisis. We're going to take an offering as so we sing and um, be praying about Easter Sunday. Our leadership next Sunday, our deacons, and what a grand time we had yesterday. Our deacons and elders is about 20. of us, we're all going to give an offering next Sunday in the conference room just among ourselves. And then we're going to report to you on the 17th what our leadership is going to give. That's going to be 24 of us. And uh, if God moves in our hearts, who knows how much money will show up. But we're not asking you to do what we won't do. Is that fair? I don't think leadership could ask you to do what we won't do. So we're gonna we get to trust God for a miracle, and that's God's specialty. And everybody, when you get ready to give now, I want you to smile because God loves a happy giver. Can I hear that? God now, some of you haven't smiled this whole service. You're in depression because you're guilty. But but don't go on too much about the sermon because the dog hit with the rock screams the loud. So be real quiet and gripe on the way home. Don't do it here because you'll give yourself away. Don't do it. Look good. Look good. Like, I'm a giver. Then get out of this door and you go ballistic. But but just keep a face doing this. Father, we thank you that we can give. I've already put my check in Grant's hand because he gets mad if he doesn't see me give. And so, you know, I'm giving. Got my bodyguard watching over me. But I'm glad you already told me at home what to give. That you already own everything. Uh, I'm just a steward. I, own, I don't even own another day, Lord. I won't be alive tomorrow unless you keep giving me a body that function, a heart that pumps right, no blood clots, no strokes, no heart attacks, no cancer growing in my body, I hope. I pray for my dear brother-in-law that cancer just won't leave him alone. I would that you would kill it and strengthen my wife as she watches her brother die. Uh, Father, money is pittance if it could only save granddaughters and grandchildren. I used to tell you if you just saved my girls, I would praise you for the first billion years of eternity. So I've already got a billion-dollar debt I owe you, and I'm forever. You got me for all eternity just saying thank you, just saying thank you. So bless this offering. May people give with cheerfulness, and may those who are not believers, please don't let them give. We, We don't want them. They can't buy anything. You don't want their money until they want your son. Save them. Save them. Let this ministry run on the knees and the money of born-again, redeemed people. Don't let us look to the unsaved for money. We want to give them something. We don't want them to have to give us anything. We pray you'll do this, and we're praying, raise this money. More than that, raise our heart to catch up with you and to run after you. We pray in Jesus' name.